Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. The show is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond and their biggest challenges during the first three phases of building their software. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io, which I co-founded after being in SaaS for nearly a decade. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you can trust your software as a service or mobile app to us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io. We can spec out your project today. Um, today, I'm excited to have not our usual software type of guest, but Joe Senek, who helps private practice counselors start and grow their business. Joe also runs a top-rated podcast and has interviewed industry leaders like Daniel Pink, John Lee Dumas, who has also been on this show, amongst others. Today, we're going to talk to Joe about some of the most important things he's learned helping his businesses and uh, his clients level up, and I'm sure there will be plenty of you can translate over to your software project. How are you today, Joe? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Jordy? I am great. I'm great. Uh, you sound like you're going to be really easy to talk to, so I'm excited about that. Let's uh, launch into probably about 45 minutes of, uh, of some exciting talk about how you help your clients and how you've grown your businesses. Why don't you start off by um, telling us a bit about your background and what you're working on right now, and in particular, what problems you solve for your customer. Yeah, I mean, I would start with that. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, I took a very traditional all? path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, both my parents worked for the school system. Both my in-laws yeah. worked for the school system. My entire narrative was work hard, get good grades, and someone else will kind of bless you with a job. Yeah. Um, and so I took a very traditional counseling route. Worked at nonprofits, and you know, worked at, at local community college. And started a counseling private practice on the side where we helped people solve all sorts of issues like marriage issues and anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And then realized I knew nothing about business. And so I just started digging in and learning and thought, well, I'm going to launch a podcast just talking about what I'm learning. So I'd read a book and I'd talk about it. I'd interview an interesting person and talk about it. And, you know, over time realized that you know, a lot of what I had learned, I, w I was applying intuitively and then started to make the switch away from that full-time job into doing the podcasting and consulting. Uh, and, and I think that so, like many of us, uh, you know, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know the best use of our time. We've been given a script and a kind of manual by society that isn't always the best way to do things. So even how we look at our work week, um, the brain doesn't work the way that we've set up our five-day work week. Uh, and so we really help people to deconstruct maybe what they've been taught, but then to really say, okay, what is it that I do want to do? And so that can be through podcasting, that can be through growing their practices, their big ideas. Uh, but, you know, like I know that you uh, have moved around the world because you want a certain lifestyle, that you, mm -hmm. you want to enjoy the outdoors. And you know, we're the same way. We're uh, a family that 
really enjoys um, our time together. And so being able to figure out how we help other people do that is kind of at the core of our business. Okay, great. So why don't you start me, um, take me back to like when you were first getting going, you're, uh, what kind of time frame are we talking about here? Um, yeah, like when you so first started, you, did you have it? You had your job and you started the the some the podcast on the side. Was that the was that sort of the chronolo- chronology? Yeah. So in 2012, uh, I had a counseling private practice that was on the side, was doing just a couple evenings a week, really to pay off student loan debt more than anything. Okay. It, it wasn't going to be a business that got me out of my full-time job. Uh, the full-time job had state benefits, state pension. It really was those golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, really just started blogging about it in 2012 and launched the podcast. Um, and then until about 2015, uh, continued to build that. And I'm oftentimes more risk averse than I should be. And so I was the only income earner in our family. My wife was raising two kids, both our daughters had heart surgery. And so I really was like, I want to stay in this job so that I can take risks uh, and not worry about the money side. Um, So actually I feel like it fast forwarded things for me in a number of ways because I could say, I'm going to charge four times what I think I'm worth and just see if people bite at it. And they do. And then it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm worth more than I thought. So I'm going to just keep pushing that envelope um, because the money wasn't something I had to, you know, make ends meet. Because you had the full-time job until 2015 and you're running the podcast for for sort of three years um, at that time. Is that um, the podcast was um, still about the, the, the private practice counselors. So yeah. And, and I think within it, I, I started to find where my own curiosity was. So it started yeah. purely just about private practice, but really it's a business podcast. And so okay. me being able to interview people and then take a lens of private practice and say, well, here's how we're going to apply this here. But I was then meeting business leaders and, and being on other business podcasts that opened doors that I wouldn't have foreseen happening. Right. Like someone like John Lee Dumas has nothing to do with being, a, you know, or know anything about private practice uh, counseling, but obviously knows a lot about podcasting. So you probably wanted to talk to him about, and learn how to make a better podcast, right? So. Yeah. And, I think <laughs> and he's that's a great guest see. too. He's a he, great he guest. He knows his stuff Yeah, for sure. he's so smart. Uh, and I think that that's something that I've noticed that a lot of experts and people that are successful do is they look for information, ideas, and curiosity outside of their own field. And so yeah. they bring those different ideas and say, okay, no one in my field is doing this, but how do I then apply this particular idea into my field to then kind of merge them in a new way? Yeah, which is great, which is exactly the type of guest that you are right now, because I'm usually always, um, not always, but I'm, I'm interviewing founders of software companies. So it's really, it's going to be really interesting to get your perspective on how you help people launch their big ideas, which it sounds like you've already done yourself. So at the time, it was the podcast. How was the podcast doing during this time? Was it starting to explode or yeah. here comes the tea? <laughs> here comes the tea. Yeah, I, I warned you that my wife was going to be bringing it. Thank you. Um, so, um, yeah, so during that time, I would say it wasn't until I really committed to a weekly podcast. There was actually three things that really seemed to bring it all together. Um, during that time, while I still had my full-time job, when I committed to a weekly podcast, uh, the numbers significantly went up because then my audience could depend on me instead of, you yeah. know, I do two or three a month, but I never told them when it was coming out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I read it, got the website redesigned uh, by a professional instead of my, you know, abilities. And, yeah. and then I, I had a professional logo made. And so all of those things, I think, just from a branding standpoint helped. And then that opened up different doors where people 
on the front side, you know, saw kind of almost the, the title page and the cover of a book and said, okay, this guy looks legit. Now we're going to allow him through the door, even if I had good information before. Okay. That makes sense. And, and, um, uh, so tell me about uh, quitting the, the, the main job. It was sort of, it sounds like um, that must have been quite, quite it, uh, a daunting task for you since you've got two um, children that maybe have some health uh, you know, concerns and insurance payments and stuff like that. Tell me about that, um, how that was. Yeah, you know, it was actually my boss who I still have a great relationship with. She said just this little comment of, oh boy, when we adopted my youngest son, I wish I would have taken the full Family Medical Leave Act. And it was like this light bulb went off where I went, wait a second, my wife's pregnant right now. She's due in September. What if I just tested this to see how it would work? So I used the full Family Medical Leave Act, which here allows about six months of working at uh, 20 hours a week, which was just about enough to cover our health insurance. And so I did that for the, the full, I think it was six months that I did that to really just watch the numbers. And the first month I had the best month financially that I had ever had. The second month was even better than that really and okay. by the end of it it was it was clear that the biggest obstacle to growth at that point was my own time to set things up uh, so at the end of it I went to my boss and I said you know out of courtesy I'm going to give you an option but I'm pretty sure you're not going to want it uh, I would like to keep working at 20 hours a week and have my full-time salary uh, and she said you know of course we can't do that yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so we left on great terms and uh, actually okay. the guy that, that replaced me uh, he and his wife are some of our best friends now Oh really? That's interesting. Yeah. So, and where were the so where were the leads coming from? Where were these? Were they coming through the podcast, or or where was the, most of the leads coming from? Yeah, there was a few different areas that I would say the podcast was one of the the major leads. We set up a, a pretty significant email course, which we actually still recommend for people when we're building out podcasts, which we can dig into kind of what, how we get a 60 to 80% open rate in that. Uh, so people opting in for our email course. And then uh, we had a couple blog posts that were ranking significantly higher than other people's. So how to name a counseling private practice was ranking number one for a number of years. So we then created multiple blog posts and podcasts that were around that search term, which really got people on the front end when they're first starting a counseling practice uh, to say, how do I even name it? Um, if, if I was a strong guide there, they kind of stay with us throughout the, the life of their private practice. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Um, but obviously, you had no SEO background, right? You're saying that no. you had none. <laughs> and so you sort of luckily just chose this topic and, and it started to rank. And then you're like, you, you started to notice that, hey, this is actually starting to take off. And um, Well, yeah. And then when I saw that it was working, I said, well, how do I rank more? Like, how, how do I learn about SEO? How do I get experts in here that can show me internal linking meditation? descriptions, all of those types of things. So it, it happened once, but I knew that wasn't going to continue to just happen. Like that yeah. just was lucky. Uh, but if I wanted to be strategic, I had to actually learn those skills or bring in team members that knew those skills. Okay. So um, what, what's your sort of philosophy now on SEO? Like, are you like, it's like, I need the, a really good writer and I'll pay a lot for an article. Or are you more like, let's just get something that's like decent um, like what's your strategy for SEO yeah. now and content production? So we have a team of three in South Africa, and then we have four sound engineers here uh, in Traverse City and, and three other consultants. So we have a team that that's robust enough and has the skills to do the copywriting. Uh, okay. And so 
usually what happens is I'll interview a guest and you know, be enlightened to some new technique and then we'll dig into that. So for example, um, recently I interviewed someone from SEM Rush and they were talking about snippets and the strategy behind Google snippets. And so you know, I had one of my staff listen through that podcast and do some extra research um, to optimize for Google snippets. And so uh, we did a page just last week uh, and already we're ranking for some Google snippets for that. And so usually it's uh, that we're interviewing guests, we're doing our own research uh, and, and saying, how do we stand out creatively um, mm -hmm. beyond just what everyone's doing? Um, yeah. Because within at least our field of consultants that help private practice, there's a lot that look the same. They have very similar names. They do very similar things. And for us, our strategy, I think, is a little bit more punk rock. Like we want to have that SEO, but we also want to do things that are interesting and creative and, and make people yeah. stand out more than just we're going to do uh, kind of the typical SEO work. Okay, so so it sounds like you would do a podcast based on um, something that came from uh, you do a podcast, say, like on SEO, then you would break down the Google snippets, and then you would actually break off like maybe a post or two about that specifically and link back to the podcast? Correct. And even if um, I do say a Facebook Live about something, we'll download that video, we'll repurpose that onto YouTube, pull the transcript, then turn that into a blog post, and then turn that into a Pinterest graphic, uh, Instagram TV. So I'm spending five minutes doing a particular thing, and then my team is getting seven okay, or eight pieces of content out of there it. too. Okay, yeah. okay that's really good. Um, so um, tell me about uh, sort of the big idea that you were mentioning that you, you help people um, uh, launch their big idea. Like tell, describe to me what a big idea could be and how you get like, like break down that strategy to help uh, someone get like moved towards. I'm, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. I want, I've been dreaming about, you know, working on my own or whatever it is um, and how you would get them to sort of figure out how to do that and what's your process. Yeah, so the first step we would look at is, you know, what are the things that you really enjoy doing? Uh, because I think there's plenty of ways to make money, but to not, you know, at the very beginning, enjoy it. And so many of my clients are going to be people that they may have done private practice work, they may be really good at trauma, or, you know, say they're um, a tech designer, and they're really good at a particular way of doing technology, um, and doing software as a service. Um, but they don't like how their, their work we looks. And so first we want to optimize their time to put you know, time into this project. And so right away, we look at what are the things that only you can do. So say you're the founder of a tech company, there's probably 30% of your week that only you can do. Uh, the rest you can outsource in a variety of different ways through technology, through people, through trainings, through just eliminating it. And so I usually encourage my clients right from the front end uh, to set aggressive boundaries. And so for myself, that's that I only work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I only work usually from nine or 9.30 until four, uh, three days a week. And so what happens is you naturally then drop the ball in a number of areas because it forces you to only work on the most essential things. So before okay. we even get into the big idea, we want to make sure we have space for that idea to breathe and for you to work on it. Okay. So then once we work on the schedule, then we want to look at uh, what's the big idea? How much is it just a product? 
And then usually we want to say, let's build that audience first. And so we have a saying we often say is fall in love with the pain and the people before you pitch the product. Uh, because many of us have had that situation where maybe you put out your minimum viable product, nobody bites at it, and you say, what, what happened here? Yeah. Uh, and we want to really build up that audience. And we have kind of a three questions to ask formula that we go through once we get a handful of clients that are really interested in, in growing beyond, say, a podcast or beyond a blog. Can you tell me what those questions are? Yeah. So when we're working with clients that are just starting out, we recommend that they wait till they have at least a hundred people on their email list, uh, okay. which isn't that many. I mean, you can no. do that through a strong Google ad campaign through a, you know, Facebook like ads. Some kind of, so you help them create the lead magnet and everything or, or like yeah, we, what's the easiest way you find to get a hundred people? Yeah, I, I think having an email course. So I referenced that kind of earlier in the podcast and okay. that we break down into three sections. So it's a nine part email course. Uh, the first one's just like a email that says, hey, just wanted to make sure you got whatever the lead magnet was. Yeah. Um, can you just reply yes? So then that's helping you move from the potential spam folder to, to the welcome folder. Okay. Uh, then we usually give them a quick five minute exercise that just gives them a little bit of help in a specific area. And then they go into that nine part sequence. So the okay. first three emails are all around kind of how society has set you up for failure. So if you're writing to people that are aspiring software as a service individuals, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, why is this difficult? You know, maybe it's first, you know, society doesn't understand SaaS. Uh, when you say SaaS, the average person doesn't know what you're talking about. And so we kind of deconstruct your failure and your inability to launch isn't all on you. We're depersonalizing. We're saying okay. society kind of set you up for failure. The next three uh, emails are all around micro habits. And so we want to have these quick wins that over you know, the next week, if they do that one thing, they're going to feel a little bit more allegiance towards you because they saw some success in these small, quick wins. Mm -hmm. And then the next three are going to be long-term habits. So to be successful in this area, you need to have these three long-term habits. So building out a robust email course like that does a few different things. It gives you something to point back to when you're on a podcast, when you're doing some sort of call to action on your own podcast. It also gives you something to point people to in any advertising that you do. Instead of just subscribe to my newsletter or join my newsletter, you now have a very clear pain to transformation formula that you walk people through. So then once you have that, then it's a lot easier to sell people into that, this free course because you know, they're giving you that email, they're building that trust, they're, they're going beyond just your typical email sequence. Okay, so after so that, this, that's when we would get into the three, the three questions that we would talk okay, about. Okay, so this, this course is sort of your lead magnet, is that right? Is this one, or is it one of your lead, is it your main lead magnet, so it's free? This is something yeah, this would be a free uh, lead magnet, and we would look at developing what's one audience that you can focus on for a while. Um, so instead of saying, well, we're going to have three different lead magnets, let's just start with one, right, see how your audience responds, yeah. and then we can always add extra arms to that. Okay. Uh, but then once you get to that hundred, that's when you can go into the three questions to ask. Okay. So now, we, now we've created this. We've got to our hundred people. Um, what's the next step? Yeah. So then it's, it's actual live calls with individuals. So sending an email to those hundred people saying, I'm looking at developing a potential product. Uh, yeah. I would love to jump on a 15 to 20 minute phone call with you to ask you a few questions about it. This isn't a sales pitch. Uh, it's purely me understanding you more. 
And so then when you get those 20 people on that 15 to 20 minute phone call, the first question you're going to ask them is around the pain. And so uh, what has it been like uh, trying to launch software as a service? Okay. Uh, what, what has it been like starting this tech company? What has it mm-hmm. been like? So you're getting their words of exactly how they describe the pain of what you're trying to solve. Okay. Second, if, if, before oh, yeah, we get ahead. to the second question, I think it's yeah. quite important how you actually got those people on the phone. You're sort of glossing over that. That, oh, yeah. that could be quite difficult. What, what's the, you know, like I've tried to do that and sometimes it's very difficult. So how do you, how do you even get these people on the phone? Yeah. So, I mean, we set up a Calendly invite that they can just click on it and figure out okay. like, where well, they want to schedule. What's the copy that you, like, what's the, you know, like, how it's, do I get these people on the phone? Like, yeah, it's it very simple. Okay. It, it's, it's you, I can tell that you have been listening to the podcast. You've now subscribed to my email okay. course. Like clearly you're the most invested people within my community. Okay. And before I put a bunch of time and energy into building something, I want to make sure that you as the most invested person actually want it and actually, you know, help design it, that you're a part of that creation process. I'm trying to go in with a blank slate uh, and would love to jump on a 15 to 20 minute phone call. That's not sales at all, but it's so that you can say, here's the thing that I need. Um, So, so when you go through this process, if, if you have your most invested people on your email course that aren't jumping on even a 15 to 20 minute phone call with you, that means you have an engagement problem. And so you need to work on engagement. So maybe having more live webinars, having more things that are engaging that audience so that they trust you enough to jump on a phone call. Um, If you go through this whole process that we're about to describe, and then they've given you this product and overwhelmingly these people have said, yeah, this is the product we'd want. uh, And then they don't buy it. Well, then you have a purchase problem. You have a copy problem. And so you're kind of saving yourself all the time and energy uh, of launching something only to have crickets at the end. Uh, We want to kind of have things die like what you just said. If nobody even does a free phone call with you, you've got a trust problem with your audience. You need to work on that before you ever pitch a product. That's right. And it's a lot cheaper to do that than, you know, than build, you know, spend $20,000 building a a minimum viable product or something to, to, as you say, have crickets, you know, uh, yeah, and I mean, no one wants that. asking for a phone call than have crickets once I've built my MVP and have to pivot or something. Yeah. Um, well, and oftentimes your clients will then reveal something bigger than maybe you were anticipating. So we went through this process when we were launching our membership community called Next Level Practice. Mm-hmm. And it was all people starting counseling private practices. Mm-hmm. And so I asked, asked them, what's it like to start a counseling private practice? Oh, it's frustrating. I, I feel like people have done this before and it shouldn't be this hard. And it feels like a waste of time. I don't know if I'm going to you know, even get this thing off the ground. So they're giving us all this great copy. Uh, then we got to the second question of, what do you wish we would build? And so really trying to go in with as much of a blank slate as you can. You can say, you know, we're thinking about doing a membership community. We're thinking about doing a software as a service or an e-course. Um, but what would that look like? So in my mind, the, the product before this was a one-time $17 fee. And so I'm thinking, okay, if I'm like 20 bucks a month, that, that's a big jump from just one-time $17. So, but what people kept telling me they wanted designed was they wanted a community of people. They wanted a private Facebook group. They wanted accountability partners. They wanted access to a whole library of e-courses. They wanted free logos. Like what they were describing was way more robust than what I had in mind. Mm -hmm. And so then when I got to the third question, which is how much would you pay for that? uh, They routinely said 50 to $100 a month. And so if I had launched a membership community, my community would have said, this isn't as much as what we want. We want something way bigger than this. And they would have paid for it. So I would have left money on the table. 
And okay. so by doing that, it really allows you um, to get what your, what your clients actually are going to pay for. And you feel like 20 is enough? Do you feel like I, I you feel like get it's enough to like... get a test. Uh, okay. and, and that's where when you look at the numbers, if they say, you know what, I'd only pay $7 for that. And you're like, no, there's you no nothing. way. Yeah, yeah you, have, you have a cheapskate audience. So you need to work yeah. on getting people that can pay. Um, so, so then you can test it. So for us to interview 20 people and just say, okay, our email list is X number of thousand people. Do we think that if these 20 people, you know, at least somewhat represent what people want, that's where the next step of doing an early opt-in uh, is what we would do. So we then emailed our whole list and said, we just interviewed 20 people. Here's what overwhelmingly they said their problems are. Here's what they said they wish that we would do. Here's the price range we're looking at. If you want very first access to this, then click here. And then they got moved onto an interest list. So at that point, you're again, then getting, you're looking at those numbers. So I think we had three or 400 people that opted in for that interest list. Um, so that then allows us to say, okay, it's not just 20 people it's several hundred people. Now, if you still have an email list of 100, uh, you might want to then, you know, say, well, if I can get 50% of my list to opt in, that's a really good sign. So, I interviewed 20 and now I get 50 of those 100. Okay, now if I had 1,000 people and did some extra marketing, statistically, I should have 500 people on it. And then if I'm, you know, launch day to that early list, 50 people have opted in or a few hundred opt in, but it's crickets. That's another problem. And so, then you don't build it until after you have that early opt in that first sale. Okay, that's great. So th- um, what's the next step? You've asked the three questions you've got. You've got sort of to this point where you're, you're fleshing out a product idea. Um, you know, what's, what, what do you advise uh, after that for your, your sort of your community or your clients? Yeah, I would say then after that, that's where you would do an early opt-in. It could be a bit, you could call it beta test group. It could be, you know, founders group, however you want to name it. So then again, you're looking at how many people are opting in here. Is that going to be enough for me to make money off of this product? And then to do a launch just to that group. Uh, so for example, we launched podcast launch school recently, which is an e-course teaching people how these techniques and more about how do you launch a podcast that makes money. And so we went through this exact process. Um, I thought that my group of, of individuals was going to just want an e-course. Instead, when I went through the three questions that, to ask with my most affluent clients, um, they said, Joe, you know how to do podcasts. Will you just do this for me? Um, and so we actually ended up launching done for you services. And when I asked them, how much would you pay for this? They said, oh, eighteen dollars to $20,000. And so that's what we started with. And that was the highest priced product that we have at this moment. And, and so to, to just ask questions, that's amazing. gave me a 20,000. Th- yeah. That's and we amazing. sold the first, in the first four spots, we only opened it to four people because we wanted to do it right. Um, so we had four people sign up right away. And I just went from my highest price item being $10,000 to my highest price item being $20,000. And it's less work. And so they handed me the gift of done for you podcasting when I thought I needed to do a $500 e-course. Right. So, so what's, what do you do? What, what were they wanting for 20,000? Cause I mean, you know, I can go to Fiverr and find someone for like, you know, for a couple hundred dollars. So obviously yeah. you're doing a lot more. So what, what was involved with that? Yeah. So I, I'll tell you what's involved, but people will pay for implementation more than they will for information. 
And so the more that you can implement everything, you can charge way more. And so we had the team set up of, we had four sound engineers. So for every single podcast interview, they have a sound engineer sitting there just in case things go wrong. So these are people that they know virtually nothing about tech. Okay. And so they, they need to have the hand holding. They, they want to be able to show up, do an interview, do a podcast, and for the most part, be done, except yeah. for maybe consulting with me and saying, like, what should I say? How do I say it? Like, you know, let's develop my podcasting skills. Then at that point, they're done with the podcast. Uh, the sound engineer uploads it to Libsyn. Um, they then tag in Trello, uh, the copywriter who then builds out the show notes. They coordinate with the guests. They launch it. Uh, really, that person does what they do best, and then we do all the rest. And, and so the 20,000 package is, is for, is like just the setup and then is there a monthly, what's the monthly or is that for? Yeah. So, the, that so that's for a 26 episode package. So we, we, okay. we have them sign up for 26 episodes because of pod fading. So we know statistically most podcasts will fade by episode 12. Oh, so we actually okay, launch, okay. yeah, we launch five on day one and then we schedule out the, we don't even launch it until they have 10 totally recorded. And, and edited. So we launch five on day one and then weekly for five weeks. And then we go into kind of the weekly, the rest of the 26 for them. Okay. And is there strategy involved in, in like strategy sessions on helping them find guests and things like that? Is that included or they, they're yep. sort of. Yeah. So we, I do a monthly consulting with them to, to okay. talk through them. We have a whole Trello board. That's a template. So it's sort of a paint by number um, for launching the podcast. They also get access to the e-course that we created uh, for a lifetime. They can go back to that over and over. Uh, but really it's walking them through building out that email course that we talked about, uh, then moving into the strategy that we found worked the most um, for your first 15 episodes to set you up as an expert. Uh, and then from there, going through the three questions to ask to launch your first product. Okay. And um, describe to me how you've helped, like, let's take a software as a service. Um, let's, let's walk through like a, a real life example. Is there a story that you can tell me about someone that you've helped launch a software as a service, like what was the problem and how did you get him to move from being sort of um, thinking about it to actually executing? Yeah, I would say that for my audience, uh, because they're moving oftentimes from particularly like service-based, so one-on-one work, um, that moving into group-based software as a service is often a part of it, but it's not exclusively just software as a service. And so, you know, for example, I have one lady who she uh, has the Empowered and Unapologetic podcast. So her particular story is she's a therapist. Uh, She helps women midlife um, to become more empowered and, and unapologetic. And so for her, um, building out her membership community and her tech side of things to support people is really important. Um, as well, having you know a Facebook group and in-person retreats when you know COVID's not going on. Uh, there's multiple ways that her audience wants to engage with her. And so being able to look at from a technology standpoint, uh, what kind of automations does she want to have included uh, versus, you know, when I'm going to hand somebody off to someone else. For me, I'm not skilled in the technology area of building it out. That's where I would partner with someone like yourself to say, all right, you know, go work with Jordy and his team. Here's the outcomes that we want as a result of it. Uh, I'm not going to even dip my toes into that. I'll just say like, here's the outcomes we want. (laughs) Work with the experts like Jordy. (laughs) 
Yeah. So you wouldn't even get involved. Eh? You just like ha totally hand yeah. it off. Do you prefer to hire that person and bring them in house or are you just, you're happy with contractors? Right now, I feel like there's so much that can go awry with technology that the idea of bringing it in house, you know, when I'm, I'm not, that's not my skill set. Uh, to me, I, I would rather outsource that to contractors at this point. Oh, you do. Okay. And it gives yeah. you flexibility to sort of, uh, you know, at least like, if something happened, you could sort of pivot away and transition yeah. to a new guy. Um, like I even just think about, um, you know, custom website designers. I've probably gone through five different recommendations because, you know, they'll do, go they'll do really well for a while and then maybe they get big and they stop treating the clients that are lower, you know, well. And so then we move away from them or, you know, they drop the ball on a couple projects. And so, to me, I look for how do I have the most stress-free automated business doing what I enjoy the most? And that's doing podcasts. That's you know, working directly with the teams to launch podcasts um, and writing a book. Uh, and so the idea of managing a software team, I would just rather pass that off to either sponsors yeah. or affiliates or other folks. Well, how, how can you, how can you, um, a lot of people, I was just actually talking to someone today that's like, oh, I just don't want to give up the control. That person won't do as good a job as I do. Um, how do you talk people through that? Do you have like some yeah. guidelines on that? I would say that's one of the most common questions I get because when you think about building a business, a lot of people will say it feels like a baby. You know, I, I've raised this thing and you know, I put my heart and soul into it. They have all sorts of metaphors they'll use. Um, and you're right someone won't do it like you, uh, but they might actually do it better than you. Um, so for example, I've handed off most of my email to my director of details. Email is such a trust. I mean, she could hack into all sorts of things, having my email reset passwords. There's yeah. tons that she could do. So um, I hope she doesn't listen to this and realize how, how much she could do. Um, but there, there needs to be a certain level of trust. There need to be some alerts and different things if say passwords change. Um, but think about the difference between if I'm getting two to 300 emails a day and I can't keep up with it. Plus at the end of the week, if I have to sit down on a Friday and go through all these emails I haven't gone through, what does that do for my energy and creativity level compared to the 10 most important emails in a day are starred? And if one of my consulting clients emails, she texts me, or if my wife sends me an email, she texts me uh, and says, Hey, you know, Christina just sent you an email. Make sure you check it. It's about the girl's school. Mm -hmm. That helps me be the most efficient business owner and be the most efficient you know, husband um, where her email doesn't get caught in the middle of all these other emails. And so I would say, yes, you are giving up tons of control when you're removing these things from your plate. But on the other side of it, imagine you felt like almost everything you were doing were the things only you could do. So when I look at my schedule, almost everything is only what I can do. And uh, it's not things that I could outsource. I'm not going to send you know, one of my team to come in place of myself on a podcast interview. I'm not going to have one of my team members write the book I'm writing. Uh, those are things that I need to make sure that I put my best energy into and protect kind of that best energy for those things. Because that's the exact thing that helps me level up the best. And that, and that's what it sounds like really you were doing with your schedule, as you were saying, uh, you're looking at it. It's like, you know, um, uh, this is something that clearly I can outsource. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you just go through and, and by restricting your own calendar, realizing that like, well, I don't even have time for this. I need to delegate it. Um, 
And do you track that at all? I mean, have you gone through like some, some um, people are recommending like you should actually spend a month like tracking what, what things that you do so that you can see like, Oh my God, I'm looking at this now. And I realize that I actually could um, be delegating this or I could automate this. Do you do anything like that? You know, I haven't found tracking to be as helpful as, as just saying, like, what do I know I need to work on first? And then I put that in my calendar and I have it automate within the calendar. So I block it out. Uh, so I use this technique called life blocking. And so, for example, in putting in time to this book um, through HarperCollins, I know I have to have a certain number of words written by a specific date. And so to even say, okay, week by week, just to say basically on track, what do I need to be at? How many hours do I think I'll need? And then blocking that out and putting it on repeat. And then Jess, my assistant knows, don't schedule anything during that time. And so by having, for example, uh, my consulting clients, all nine of their sessions, they schedule on day one when they pay. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those are then all out. So I can look at my calendar and say, it's full. I just don't yeah. have time uh, to bring in any extra work right now. Or if there's something that's such a great opportunity, I can then say, I need to cut these things out. Um, but I haven't found the tracking as important as just saying, what are the core things I need to do to keep the business going? And what are the core things I need to do to level up? And I need to put those in my calendar first, and then everything else can fill in around it or not fill in or just get eliminated. Yeah, it it sounds like the um, like Jess is really an important part to your business. You, I noticed you call her director of details. Um, I just was actually interviewing another guy. Um, his name is it's it's a German name, quite difficult to remember. But it's Adam and Haley Warner, who just wrote a book about hiring that executive assistant. Can you tell me like? Um, like how key is she, is she like you're not literally your number two a person like she's like almost like a partner or is she more like just a, a someone that's helping you clear out your your calendar and kind of go through as you say the details in your life yeah I mean I would say that she's essential to the team for sure uh, my number two is is Sam who she's she's been there from the almost the beginning and she does okay. kind of oversight of everything um, and so Sam she's in Cape Town she oversees all of our uh, kind of creative side of things uh, I would say Jess she's more keeping the logistics of Joe uh, in check so even okay. just making sure that you know I'm not double booked or if there's so that when I come on a podcast interview like this, I have all the information I need so I can you know, quickly check She's out your website. She's done the research and, st and st right. yeah, that's so and, nice. And, yeah. and she can just say, okay, here, go check out you know, his podcast page. Here's the link so I don't have to hunt around. So yeah. the 20 seconds it would take me to look around, that's using emotional energy that I should be using on your podcast, not yeah. hunting around before it. Uh, and so even on the team, um, I don't expect people to stay stagnant within that role. So every year I ask them, you know, what are some things that you wish we could take off your plate and give to someone else or hire someone else? And what are things that you would like to learn? And so Sam, who I referenced, she's gone from just doing kind of basic design to then we put out a magazine to then going through training on video editing and all that, that time she also eliminated things. So she didn't she didn't keep doing show notes for the podcast. We hired someone new for that. And so That's allowing, what she started out though. She started yeah. out as part of a graphics person on the podcast and now has moved up to sort of a creative director or whatever. Yeah. And I think when you do that for yourself and for others, it's, it's amazing to see when people feel like they can say, 
I literally hate doing this part of my job. Can we get someone else to do it? When they feel that freedom um, and that instead of me saying, well, that's your job, just do it versus, okay, let's find someone else that loves doing that. Um, and then let's move you into something else. You then have a team that loves their job, wants to do all of it and feels like they have a voice to then be able to say, okay, I've moved past what I used to think was my, my upper limit. I don't like show notes anymore, even though last year I really liked them. Uh, yeah. I want to start doing video. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I, I feel like I'm moving past video. I want to learn some doodly videos instead of just regular videos. And it, it's awesome to see a team be able to keep leveling up in their own skills because then as a business, we keep leveling up. That's right. And do you, they, they're obviously remote. Do you, um, do you try and get together as a team to, like once a year or anything like that? So we haven't physically got together. Um, I want to. I want to actually go to South Africa for three or four yeah. months with a family at some point. It's great. Yeah. yeah, we we had a plan to do a year long road trip uh, here in the United States uh, and live out of national parks and podcasts, but that was before COVID hit. So we're just kind of waiting to see how this right. whole kind of all. And you know, by the time this airs, we'll probably have way more information than we have while we're recording. Um, but yeah, I think family travel uh, is part of our plan. I would say when you have a new assistant in any capacity, making sure that you have weekly meetings for a while uh, uh-huh. and make feedback be a part of those meetings. Um, to have meetings only when you need to give feedback, uh, you know, that's going to set up a dynamic where people feel like you're only meeting to tell them what they're doing wrong versus, okay, you didn't quite nail it on this project. Here's what we need to adjust. Maybe I could communicate differently. Maybe you heard it differently. It doesn't really matter, but we need to change this and figure out how to avoid that in the future that creates conversations with people that uh, they understand that screwing up is part of it. Uh, and then they're willing to take those risks. Uh, we, we actually have a saying that we often say that I stole from the community college I worked at, which is proceed until apprehended. Uh, mm-hmm. I want people to keep moving forward and coming up with ideas. And, and then when I notice and say, Oh, I don't really like that. That's when they stop. Not when they kind of have that first idea. Okay, that's great. We're, we're getting to the end of our show. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time, Joe. Can can you leave our, our listeners on um, on some somewhere something that they can think about on their dream to launching their big idea? I would say go back to how you're using your time. Uh, you know, our when you're working that's time away from your friends, your family, solo time that you could be meditating or becoming a better person. And so it's highly valuable to say, how do I make the most out of this time? Um, and, And so if you feel like you're dinking around in certain areas, really push yourself to rein in how you're using that time, because I think you're just gonna feel better, but you're also gonna get the best work done for yourself and your community. That's great advice. Thanks so much, Joe. And how can people find you? What's the best? Obviously, it sounds like the podcast is a place, great place to go. Um, uh, can, can you uh, tell us how, if somebody wanted to reach out, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, I would say a couple of the best places if you're looking to do a podcast, go over to podcastlaunchschool.com and you can sign up for that free email course all about podcasting. Uh, If you're a coach or a counselor, if you want to in some way grow those skills, practiceofthepractice.com would be the best place to go. And the Practice the Practice podcast, uh, that's wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, great. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web 
Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.